hi, everyone. Uh, welcome to today's episode of the Mastering Retention Podcast. I'm Tom Hammond, uh, co-founder of UserWise and your host today. Um, today, we are, uh, I'm just super excited. I don't get to have a lot of uh, founders and CEOs on with me, so it's super fun. Uh, we have Andre Korotkov uh, from Zillion Whales with us. Uh, you might know them for their Mushroom Wars series. Um, so, uh, Andre, we got so much fun stuff we get to talk about today, um, including <laughs> starting a company, acquisitions, all sorts of great stuff. Um, but before we dive into everything, um, I always like to start with, like, what's your story? How'd you get into games? How'd you get to where you are today? Well, yeah, it's like maybe pretty common, maybe not. But, uh, well, I started um, to love games since uh, I got uh, NES. Oh, in Russia, it's, uh, it was called Bendy, but basically it's an Nintendo entertainment system, the first generation. Uh, when <laughs> I was uh, uh, and the primary school, like six, seven ages old, I don't remember exactly, but uh, once I get uh, my hands on uh, this console, uh, I started to think that, well, okay, I definitely want to create games and uh, I like like games so, so so much, but it might be super, super difficult to make games and I have absolutely no idea how, how, how to make games. Yeah. Uh, definitely very, very smart people are behind this stuff, uh, kind of. And uh, this is how it's all like started. And um, a little bit later, uh, around uh, 10 years, maybe, 11 years so like four years later five years later uh, somehow somehow i got myself a zx spectrum uh computer uh, it was um uh, like uh not even russia i would say it was a ussr replica of uh, <laughs> something like how it's originally called i don't remember sinclair or something like this um so this uh, zx spectrum uh, was able to um interpret uh, basic code and uh, i i was thinking well okay i can be one step closer to to, to making games right now uh, unfortunately in uh, like early 90s or maybe maybe middle 90s i don't remember exactly in russia it was a huge crisis so uh, having a pc uh, was uh, unachievable for most of uh, of people mm-hmm. and and um, uh, so the, the, the device i got that spectrum was like the, the only the only thing uh, could 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 be possible and uh, as, as far as i remember uh, it was already like stopped uh, of production and all this stuff like maybe 8 years ago because uh, it was pretty pretty like ancient technology but uh, this this is what i got and uh, the only the only thing i was able to uh, find to study the programming was a, an also an ancient book of late 80s uh, about basic and uh, having this book around and uh, this that spectrum uh, sort of PC, I started to, to to program and make my first games. Um, and uh, later, um, when I uh, was already near finishing school or something like this, uh, finally I got the computer, 
and uh, um, I, I, I think, okay, now I can do something real. Uh, first of all, uh, once I get the computer first year, I only played games and did nothing else. But uh, <laughs> once I get like a little bit satisfied with, with the games, I started started to, to write my own. And um, uh, first of all, I tried Visual Basic because well, I think I knew Basic, but Visual Basic uh, doesn't satisfy me. And uh, um, I found um, uh, the like interpretation uh, of uh, Quake three it was mm. uh, the game called uh, need for kill i don't know if you ever heard yeah. about it oh yeah you really? of course yeah, yeah and this game like was a quake 3 in 2d and um, the developer of this game uh, lived in moscow and on forum i uh, got new from him that uh, he used Delphi to program this game, and th that's why I st st started to think that's okay. Delphi might be cool, so I uh, I found found some uh, pretty old version of Delphi and started to to make to make games in Delphi. Created first game engine uh, <laughs> based on OpenGL and start, started yeah. to, started to to work on my first game. Uh, and this the idea of the game was to uh, combine uh, Crimson Land, uh, pretty famous game still, I think, and uh, Diablo 2, that is obviously oh, yeah. a well-known game. So uh, that's how I created my first game. I spent like um, two plus years working on it with some, um, mostly I stole uh, visual assets from other games, <laughs> but uh, I found an artist uh, who helped me to uh, work them the way at least they uh, are not the, this so much recognizable and um, uh, when I uh, go to university I was like near, near 18 years and exactly uh, and at this uh, year I finished this game and uh, I've managed to have a deal with a publisher who purchased uh, this game and uh, uploaded it to the free uh, game portal. And this is how I earned my first thousand uh, dollars. And at that moment, I started to think, okay, this might be uh, a way how, how I can live making games and all this stuff. And uh, I was super, super impressed. Uh, then uh, the, the, back at those days, there's, there were no such um, such name as indie developer, and uh, <laughs> it can be a sort of mainstream like now. So, um, and the only possibility to uh, earn on games in internet was like uh, casual games uh, published on some website. Uh, this is how when the Zuma appeared, some Arkanoid clones appeared, and all, and all, 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 all such games. And uh, well, uh, I made game all uh, all day during all my study in university for <laughs> next next few years. And well, I wrote. Uh, I moved to C plus uh, plus in the university. Obviously, we studied C plus plus as I like and the software engineering uh, specialty there. So um, I was taught some, some good stuff in, in development. Uh, and I wrote my um, uh, uh, 3D engine. This, that is uh, kind of still alive, by the way. And 
uh, not still, but the, the last commercial game on, on it released maybe seven or eight years ago. <laughs> but uh, well, uh, at least at least uh, in the university I made the engine that was capable for commercial games, and I made um, uh, several games that I was able to publish and yeah. earn some money. And when I graduated, I I was thinking about business and uh, with some uh, students uh, right after graduation, we created a company. This company um, uh, was like left and to, to, to create some, some big PC games or something like this, but uh, none of us, of us at, back at those time uh, had, uh, had no idea how to make big games. And um, uh, as uh, back at those days on indie games, it was be near impossible impossible to earn significant money. Uh, mm -hmm. So you need to, to make like a release on a CD with like a lot of content and all this stuff. Uh, and we really didn't have a, any idea how to do it. We started to do outsource work with 3D graphics and uh, something like this. Uh, we made everything on our in-game uh, sorry, nothing. Yeah, our uh, homemade, homebrew, I would say, uh, um, uh, engine. And um, for eight years, uh, while this company existed, we uh, didn't make any game, <laughs> but we did a lot of a lot of outsourced stuff and earned uh, enough money. And well, only after that, I moved from the small city in Siberia to St. Petersburg and started to work in game development company. And later, like uh, we managed to have our own company that is now Zealand Wales. Uh, like, keeping the, the long story short, this is, this is <laughs> how, how basically, uh, basically it is. And uh, in Zealand Wales uh, with the other guys who already knew how to make games and uh, we obviously enter, entered already an era of uh, mobile games. We like uh, started to work on different games and uh, we made, I don't know exactly, but maybe five, six games, but the Mushroom Wars uh, was the like best among them. Uh, original Mushroom Wars was released in place Station three, so it was like in 2009. Oh, and wow. um, and uh, when uh, the mobile era came, we uh, wanted to be like on uh, at the edge and to make mobile games. And uh, Martial Wars uh, was the only game that uh, suits, suits well uh, the, the mobile screen and the controls, assume, and uh, all, all this stuff. Uh, that's it. We start to work more on Mushroom Wars, and um, the first uh, first attempt to make Mushroom Wars a free-to-play game was not very successful. It was not a complete failure, but still. Uh, uh, and uh, we like so, found investment. Before we like dive into that too much, for people that aren't familiar with Mushroom Wars, like what what kind of game is it? Like how does it play? Just for like a high-level overview. Uh, there, uh, may, maybe uh, somebody heard uh, about game from ZX Spectrum era, so it's called Galcon. It's still uh, in some sort of its reincarnation is still available on Steam. You can find Galcon game. Mm. Uh, so the idea, initial idea of Martial Wars, uh, basically there were two ideas. The idea number one 
was uh, the, the mechanics of Galcon is awesome. It's, it's the simplified version of real-time strategy where you have only one resource. It's like your troops. You use troops to, to build or evolve. You use troops to attack, you use troops to defend. So basically the very, very simplified strategy uh, um, also with, uh, without any possibility to uh, build a base the way you uh, building uh, like a base the way you want it to do, but uh, you have uh, like pre-designed um, special points on the map where you can do something. And uh, we wanted to uh, add some love to this uh, core gameplay and to evolve this. And um, mm, we add a visual style. We add some uh, unexpected setting with all these mushrooms and all this stuff. Uh, and um, we evolve the gameplay itself a little bit, adding a possibility to, uh, of different type of buildings to convert and to uh, upgrade them. Uh, and another thing, big thing was that um, on PlayStation 3 in 2009, or maybe 2008, uh, the uh, PlayStation Store, like the, uh, I don't remember, PlayStation, P PSN, PlayStation Network itself, and then and, and PlayStation Store for digital games uh, was yet born like a year ago or so. And there was a space for um, small, small downloadable games. Uh, and uh, uh, on one hand, and on another hand, uh, there, uh, was no uh, any strategy games at all. So uh, we thought, okay, so we might finally have some small game uh, on, on, on the market uh, that could earn enough money on, on one hand. On another hand, uh, we can bring a real-time strategy game that the, the genre is like not presented almost at all on the consoles and we can uh, give it a try. And it would it, it was possible because uh, the whole gameplay could fit the single screen, and for console and for mobile as well. By the way, it's essential that you don't need to scroll the screen when everything is fits fits the single screen uh, to control it, it. It's much much easier. And um, uh, we spent uh, with like with the original team of Marshall Wars. Unfortunately, none of those developers are with us right now. But uh, <laughs> back in two thousand nine, we spent a lot of time with the original team to manage how to um, uh, make it playable from a gamepad. There are a lot of a lot of tricky solution and hacks to make it. Uh, feel native to uh, to uh, add feedback um, to to the player and uh, and the, 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 that's it that's it how it came to PlayStation Three uh, the game was very successful and uh, the the year after when we added multiplayer it really became a hit and got in. Um, PlayStation Plus, so it was a free game for like some month nice. uh, for, for, for PlayStation. And this is how we got like uh, a million, millions of players and uh, the brand got it uh, recognition. Uh, and uh, yeah, as I said, yeah, later we decided to bring this to mobile. Uh, the brand already got its recognition and it helped on mobile, obviously, but we were unable to do 
like profitable free-to-play model, but it was like the early, early age of free-to-play games. Mm-hmm. And that we successfully did with Marshall was too late. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I think this is the answer for, for your question. If you don't want me to dig, uh, to dive deep into Martial Wars 2 and all this, this stuff, and the game itself, yeah, it's it's it's, it's simplified real-time strategy game. I think everyone could Google uh, Martial Wars and find screenshots from from the original game and the sequel that is live right now. Yeah, that's great. Okay, well, let's um, dive into a few just more high level things before we get down to the nitty gritty details. Um, So I have this belief and I'm pretty sure that I'm right, that just about everyone that works in gaming kind of has this secret dream of uh, someday kind of running their own studio and having full creative aptitude to be able to create whatever they want, whenever they want. Um, I'm curious, like what's your take on how to go about starting a studio like what would be the first like if we had to start a new studio today like what would be the first thing that you would do mm-hmm, okay well uh i i i can a little bit disagree that a lot of people i know that don't <laughs> want to dive in all these uh, problems and uh, pain with uh, <laughs> owning a studio uh, <laughs> And a lot of them just want to be part of something bigger. I write a few lines of code of Red Dead Redemption 2. It's not a bad thing, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So there are a lot. But um, uh, obviously, there are a lot of people who want to make their own project. Basically, this is what drives me through all of this from the very, very, very beginning to make my own games. uh, And have influence on this. Uh, Right now, I think. On one hand, it's much simpler to start a company and uh, start a game, gaming business. But uh, on another hand, there are uh, much more obstacles, not, not, not maybe obstacles, but requirements that you need to satisfy to, to be more or less successful. Uh, basically, uh, if you're like uh, working in a game development studio or at least uh, in any uh, IT company, uh, you are like one step away from making a game development company because um, um, the basic thing is the understanding of how software products are making are being made. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, uh, if you if you got the idea how you can uh, manage to uh, from like the the few images and few lines of code bring. Uh, Mm, complete product, not, not exactly the game, but some some sort any any complete product to to a final user. It could be mobile application, it could be even a well done website or something like this. So you're already half uh, way there. Uh, the the second thing is uh, to find uh, uh, a good company of people uh, who will. Um, share your ideas and could help bring uh, them in front of a big audience. Uh, right now, it's pretty easy as well, because there are a lot of uh, conferences uh, all around the globe. And uh, if you don't want to go to conference, you can go to any game jam or even uh, Reddit uh, thread or whatever. Uh, 
to find like artists to find like another developer or game designer maybe but uh, if you want to do a company basically you need at least to be uh, like to combine almost everything inside you. you you might be able to like create super cool visual images but you definitely should be able to uh, grab some uh, sprites from internet and to make this this sprites alive in your game uh, mm. even if you don't don't understand how to program games still you should be able to open uh, whatever like game maker unity or something and to build a level inside this and um, and you should understand how all these things are, are combined and even well I, I know a lot of artists by the way who can uh, program at least small games maybe maybe even even with visual visual uh, development blogs not not with the code, code writing itself so um so this is this is the, the second part you need to, you, you you need to understand how how to make it and you need a company of people who can share your ideas uh, when i started to work on uh, to work on games like 20 plus i don't know like years ago so let's say uh in uh, late late 90s or early, or early like in 2001 maybe um, the problem was that I, I i was unable to find artists uh, it was a huge problem so there are uh, like I, I i was within community of developers and back those days developers kind of they have their own parties uh, and the artists <laughs> had their own parties obviously <laughs> And uh, they never met. Uh, the, 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 so there were a lot of a lot of developers who uh, were unable to find any artists to support their ideas and to make a game. And on other hand, later, I found that there are a lot of artists uh, with a lot of ideas and artworks, and they can't find any any developer who could make a game based on their art. Uh, right now, there is no such problem, and this is a good thing, basically. Uh, the internet developed a lot since since that <laughs> time. Uh, so uh, basically, this is the the, the, the two most important things uh, you you need. And because the, the the step number three is like uh, creating a good prototype of the game, a good game. Uh, you should be able to do it like uh, on weekends or whatever, on on, on your free time uh, every evening. Uh, and if this group of people have uh, enough passion to uh, to make this game playable and uh, mm -hmm. to uh, present it on any games jam or just like to build an MVP of this game. Uh, uh, this already could be enough uh, to go and to sh and show this game to investors who could um, bootstrap them to to go further. Um, the only thing uh, you need to know, uh, like before starting making the game, you obviously need to understand the marketing perspective. And if you uh, like making a game for Steam, you need to understand which publishers, investors you will go, and mm. um, uh, what niche on the market this game should target. Uh, and um, for free to play, this is, is much, much more complicated. That's why, like for uh, first steps, I suggest to do like some some Steam game or something like this, uh, because anyway, uh, it's it's pretty hard to make uh, the first game uh, not even successful, but just to look 
fine and play fine enough uh, to be interesting for uh, any publisher. Um, and only after this step, if you be able to publish your first game, you might think about like free-to-play games, so uh, making something uh, something bigger. This is what I think about this. That's great. Okay, so at one point in time, I was reflecting back on like when I was learning how to code. One of the first uh, languages that I learned was Ruby on Rails. Um, very developer friendly. I wanted to learn how to like build a website or whatnot. And I remember when I was like going through a tutorial of it. <clears throat> now, uh, Ruby and Rails, they have a lot of these gems that you can basically write open source code to do some sort of action. And you can like import in these gems and they streamline, save you a lot of time. Um, one of the most popular ones is called Devise, which basically is user authentication. Now, it's probably a better user authentication system than just about anyone can do because, you know, it's been maintained by thousands of developers for the last, you know, 10 or whatever years, really solid. Um, but the tutorial was like, okay, well, you're probably going to want to use device on all of your production, you know, projects because it's going to be a good system, but it still makes sense for us to actually go through the process of rolling our own user authentication system, just so you can get the high level understanding of like, how it works and why these things work in there. Um, something that you've done that I haven't really met too many people to do is like you actually built your own game engine, you know, back in the day when you started making games. Um, now it sounds like maybe you use Unity or Unreal or whatever, but um, do you think that exercise of actually going through and, and building a game engine, even if it's like a, a basic, you know, crappier version than Unity or Unreal actually like, helped you to better understand what's going on and made you a better game developer or is that just a waste of time and you should just use unity well it depends on uh, your goal so back at those days uh, i made engine because uh, there was no unity or any other solution there was uh, monstrous huge and uh, i would say ugly technologies like uh, like ogre 3d maybe you remember something like this um still uh, it's pretty complicated to use such technologies i guess uh and uh, um uh, uh for me it was like trying to achieve uh, the goal of making a, a portable a lightweight uh, technology that could be used like in my own project and uh, others project uh, but uh, Unity basically killed them all uh, when it starts to growing rapidly. And um, the only profit I got from uh, understanding how all this is working on the very, very low level is the deep understanding of the 3D graphics and how, how the graphic is, is rendering and how the memory management is working and all this stuff. But... Um, on one hand, it's good to understand these things, but on the other hand, uh, the um, technologies are evolving so much that uh, this knowledge uh, would become irrelevant very fast. For instance, well, uh, I wrote my engine using OpenGL and mm -hmm. shaders only appeared like back, back at those days. They, they like you need to uh, to to use assembler to, to write shaders, uh, um, but well, the, the, the pillars of the graphics they they are still the same. It's true, but uh, right now, um, for example, to uh, make games using Vulkan or like metal 
or uh, DirectX 12, it's really a different different story and all the knowledge I got uh, making games on like OpenGL, not exactly worthless, but um, doesn't value uh, a lot right now. Um, so uh, basically you don't need to uh, write uh, yourself such uh, complicated low level things, but still is very, very important to understand the pillars on which uh, these technologies are built on. Uh, in our company, uh, we hire a lot of uh, like C-sharp developers for Unity for the recent years. And I often visit these interviews and I can say that the quality, uh, the average quality of software engineers on uh, in Unity is very low. And the problem is because they are used to uh, use all these uh, uh, components that are already done for them. They used to work on the high level. So they use them, they use, for instance, they use matrix transformation, but uh, they have no idea what matrix uh, is itself, why uh, matrix uh, matrices in, um, to the graphics uh, have uh, four rows and four columns, not three rows and three columns. Like uh, how the perspective divide is done, how like this projection, uh, how the triangles are being filled with textures in them. Uh, it, well, if you're making simple, simple game, you really uh, don't need to know all this stuff, basically. But if someday you want to make something, something more complex, or uh, you want to have some uh, like benefits when you uh, will try to find a new job, this is basically matters. So in case you just want to make fun games for like yourself, like ty typical indie games or kind of, more likely you don't need to dive such deep and to understand all this stuff. But if you want to end up maybe in uh, Epic Games, uh, working on some uh, AAA games, not exactly Epic Games, if like your dream is uh, work on the next God of War or like yeah. Horizon Zero Dawn or something like this, you'll never get this job without understanding this, these pillars. And the best way to understand these pillars is to do something like yourself. Mm. So That's great feedback. Okay, um, talk to me a little bit about um, co-founders uh, within like a studio. Like, would you look for co-founders? And if so, like what sort of skill sets would you want each co-founder to kind of have? Uh, I think uh, the there are general rules uh, that uh, I heard from various people is that, okay, if you're starting a game, gaming company, uh, you should have uh, all the main domains uh, closed by reliable people. By the main domains, I mean, definitely it's game design, it's uh, art design, art visualization, and it's uh, software engineering. So basically there is three of them. Uh, so, uh, if you uh, want uh, to be successful, you need a cool CTO, you need cool uh, art director, and uh, you need cool creative director. Uh, 
So if you are starting to make a company, uh, and these people more likely they will be employed already and have good salaries or at least they have their own ambitions about something. And this is uh, on one hand it's bad, on the other hand it's good. So uh, what you need to do, you need to, to uh, have them as co-founders. This is how you uh, on one hand save uh, these main domains, they will be covered by, by the experienced people. On another hand, they will be motivated enough because maybe finally, they uh, can work on the project by, uh, on their own project with their own ideas. On, on another hand, they will understand with, uh, that all their efforts in the future will return with, I don't know, after the company acquisition or even just uh, uh, if the product will be successful enough, they will uh, get their share of, of the success. Yeah. But uh, another, another rule is uh, not to have more than three uh, co-founders because uh, if even if there are two co-founders, really the already politics starts. If you have three, you definitely have some politics. <laughs> but if you have four, five, six, uh, you can spend like ages arguing uh, with the charters and trying to, to come to, to, to a solution that uh, everyone will be okay. Mm. Now, you've gone through the actual acquisition process and stuff. Um, now, I, I'm a big fan whenever I'm talking to people about, you know, that, that want to start a company and they want to just get going and stuff is, um, how do I outline it? Um, well, you know, let's say you meet a pretty young lass and, and you think that you might want to marry her. It's probably in your best interest to go through the time of, you know, making sure you understand her religious views and her political views and all those like deep conversations that might be a little bit uncomfortable, but just to make sure that you guys are actually like a match. Um, I kind of say you probably want to do the same thing with co-founders because um, yeah, like, you know, even as simple as, you know, let's say your company is doing really great right now and someone comes in and offers you 30 million or $50 million for your business or something like that. One co-founder over here, that might be life-changing money. I want to take it. Absolutely. Another one on this side might be, well, I want to actually push for that billion dollar exit. And if you haven't had those conversations around expectations and you know, like, Hey, once we do X, Y, Z, like this is where I want to be. I've actually seen companies that are, I mean, honestly, like doing, the most amazing that they've ever done suddenly fall apart because the co-founders have some big argument over, you know, something like that. Um, so I always kind of say, I, I think it's important to have those sort of, uh, you know, religious or political conversations and agreements before you actually form the company, you know, get married, so to speak, et cetera. So I'm, I'm curious, like, what's your take on stuff like that? Uh, you mean in case of uh, the company acquisition or in case like... Well, I, I think it, I mean, an acquisition could be something that could trigger it. But, on, you know, on the flip side, there could be something like maybe the company is not doing really great right now or whatnot. And, you know, it, if you're not in agreement of what we're going to do when this thing potentially happens or something of realm of this, like I've just seen so many disagreements lead to co-founders ultimately splitting up. You know, it's 
probably a reason why we see a lot of, you know, bands that make really great music, you know, <laughs> split up after they have like a really great CD with sudden success or whatnot too. Well, it's like a pretty tough question and uh, it's really kind of rhetorical. I don't think there is ever, and it could be a <laughs> correct answer to it, obviously. Like from my perspective, um, like we spent, for example, uh, almost 10 years uh, on this company and uh, uh, we see how we like evolved during this period. Yeah, the company grew and everything is okay, but uh, we understand that maybe uh, we can't grow faster and uh, uh, maybe this is like we are near our ceiling and uh, uh, mm -hmm. and uh, we like were in a situation considering what, what the next step could be. And in this case, uh, trying to search a partner who is like experienced and huge uh, might be a good solution because first of all, you can monetize the success you already have, that is not bad itself. And on another hand, you still, uh, for us, by the way, we still left uh, nine persons of the company between, between the co-founders, uh, not nine, 19 persons of the company between the co-founders. So we, we didn't sell everything. And um, so basically we monetize the, the part of our previous success and we still have something we can monetize in future. But we believe that with, uh, with a bigger partner, our future could be might, might brighter. And um, for instance, if you have um, uh, like, it's kind of the similar thing if you have like, uh, 100% of a, like, let's say, a million dollars of valuation company, or you could have like 10%, but of uh, $10 million valuation company. Basically, it like doesn't, doesn't matter this much. Uh, but uh, if you have 1 million valuation company, it would be, uh, and you are the, on, the only one there, it could be uh, much, much harder or even maybe impossible to get valuation of 10 million, let's say so. Uh, and, uh, but if uh, you're like a small part of something bigger uh, and like, even maybe your valuation could be combined or something like this, uh, then in future, uh, the valuation could be like not even 10, but 20 or 30 times higher. So you're, you're like the rest of this, 10% or something like this could bring you uh, much more money in the future. So this is, could be even uh, this like future wise, but it, it really depends from case to case and uh, has a lot, of, a, lot of, a lot of various options. Obviously inside the company, we have argues and we discussed what, uh, what, uh, what might be done. For us also, it was like uh, an option that uh, we got Sharehold with um, the Russian-based company, and after what happens in February, it was—it's not good, obviously. So we wanted to get rid of this sharehold of Russian-based company, and uh, as our company like uh, is London-based, so we wanted to be uh, to be free of uh, of these connections with with, uh, with Russia in, in current situation. Uh, and this this deal also helped us uh, uh, to do this. So this is like the matter of uh, of a, a, a lot of things uh, things you need to consider. Yeah. Okay. I have I have one more topic that I'd like to cover before we end, and we're getting low on time here. Mm -hmm. Okay. So 
this is something I see a lot of people struggle with, you know, what's your process or like, how do you basically figure out what game should we prototype? What game should we actually, you know, build? How do you come up with like a good creative ideas and, you know, mm-hmm. when you know to, to kill them or not? Uh, well, for us, uh, we have like um, uh, an idea that we never do clones like type, typical clones. And we always try to do uh, more or less unique games. And um, when we started to work in a new game, right now we have like two games in development, one on uh, MVP stage and another one uh, is like more earlier stage. Uh, we spent uh, a lot of time for R&D. Uh, the last time it was, uh, I don't remember exactly, maybe six months we spent uh, on R&D phase uh, and how it works, we just, uh, have like a couple of game designers like I don't remember exactly like four, four or five game designers game designers in the company and uh, all, all the rest people around 40 people uh, in total and um, mm, uh, we uh, make a lot of uh, fast prototypes uh, based on some um, idea blend blend of ideas uh, of the core gameplay and market vision so we can we come to the market and see, okay, we think that uh, this uh, particular genre would be, uh, could be successful on the market in the next year or two. Okay, so we select, or, or maybe we just say, uh, we are like, uh, like strategies and we uh, expert in strategies. It seems the strategy could be okay. So we selected the, the genre. The second thing, we see a lot of uh, competitors, uh, uh, search for a lot of competitors in this genre uh, all over the market and um, take the best and worst things uh, in their gameplays. And uh, the third part, we are trying to uh, to pull all the best things together from like the competitors and to and get rid from all the bad things. And, and this is how the brainstorm started. So we come with like thousands of ideas uh, and, and we discuss them. And out of these thousands, uh, we filter three, four ideas. We do prototypes. These prototypes should be uh, done in very, very rapid way. Uh, uh, and then they will, the, all the code and everything will go to the junk and uh, the game will be recreated. So the, the, the goal of prototype is to show the core gameplay itself. Uh, usually we spend from uh, five to maybe 10 days to create the complete prototype of the game that could be playable uh, online with an, 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 another people to understand because making a, an AI is pretty, pretty difficult and, and stupid AI could ruin the good gameplay. So all, 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 all the games uh, are building to be able to play PvP. And uh, when we have several prototypes, uh, we, um, well, before the COVID, we can meet in the room, but right now, like we have a call and um, play these games all together, uh, give feedback and uh, understand what is bad, what is good. Uh, sometimes all these prototypes go to the junk. Sometimes we selected uh, one of them and uh, having like from, from everyone have ideas to what to add and how to remove. So this iteration is uh, usually uh, 
like like three 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 four iterations and uh, on the fourth iteration let's say we can have uh, two or maybe three prototypes that are winners with these mm. prototypes we go to the whole company and uh, with whole company we usually do another 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 iteration and then starts friends and family phase and if friends and family phase also say that uh, it's pretty okay uh, for, for the last game, we go to streamers because we got a lot of streamers of Martian Wars and yep. we thought, yeah, why not? So we gave this prototype based without any art, based on blocks, you know, <laughs> wow. to, to, to streamers. And we go and play with them in these games uh, on their stream. So we got instant feedback from the audience of the streamers and from the streamer itself which are not developers. And this is pretty important to get feedback from non-developers. Did some of them actually find the, the block-based games actually interesting and fun? Yeah, yeah. Wow. Can, wow. Well, a streamer understands that it's, it's a prototype. They are pretty, uh, pretty curious and um, patient to play the prototype because they want to, to be part of the of development process. It's, yeah. it's, it's value for them. So they understand that they're playing prototype and uh, we got a lot of valuable feedback from 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 these tests mm, and um, uh, this sort of, of, of community driven development so we and and then you start to to bring uh, this game again and again uh, on, on on the uh, later stage of development and play it with streamers again uh, for us it was easier because we got already a community of players and streamers if you like if you're an like, unknown developer, it's harder, but I think uh, still there are resources where you can show your game, like even each IO, something like this, when the early prototype could be shown to some audience. That's great. Basically, only players can say if the game is good. If, if the reception is good, well, you can continue. And the next step is to measure retention and all and all, and all this stuff. But like, yeah, the prototype phase is like this. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Cool. Well, I have one final question because we are on the Mastering Retention Podcast. And that is, you know, what's one tip or trick or lesson you've learned over the years to, you know, improve reten player retention? How do you keep your players playing back, you know, coming back for more each day, week, month, ideally, you know, year after year? Mm. Well, um, I think that uh, the retention driver, first of all, is core gameplay itself. And uh, if uh, the core gameplay can suck you in, uh, everything would be fine. Uh, the, the problem is that um, there are a lot of core gameplays that can suck a player in, uh, especially in hyper-casual games, but they don't have any deep enough. So uh, still this magic, uh, magic phrase, uh, easy to learn, hard to master, uh, rules, uh, rules the market. The games that uh, have, ha have gameplay, easy to learn and hard to master, uh, with competitive PvP, basically uh, these sort of games could have excellent rotation by their own, uh, without any addition of like uh, meta gameplay features or something like this. That's great. I love it. Well, Andre, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, if people do have any questions for you, is there a good way for them to get in contact with you? 
Well, I think uh, everyone can message me on Twitter. I'm pretty open there. Awesome. Love it. All right. Thank you so much. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye.